Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Well, we've got two parts left. Uh, We are entering into chapter number six, finally, and we've got today and next Sunday. And and one of the things I love about the book of Ephesians, and I hope this is what you've fallen in love with on Ephesians, what I like about it is it really appeals to the way I try to communicate and preach God's word to you guys, because Paul is both very theological, but he's also very practical. And that's what I love about the book of Ephesians, that, man, he spends a lot of time, especially in the first three chapters, really getting down into doctrine and theology and why we believe what we believe. And so he's very practical, but then he turns the corner and he gets very applicable with the Word of God. How many know we can treat God's Word like a history book and, and get a lot of doctrine and theology out of it, but we can also treat it like a book where we can apply it to our lives and be the followers that God wants us to be. Amen, everybody? And that's what Paul does. And you'll see it in an extremely practical way now as we go into chapter number six. Uh, We've dealt with a lot of issues in chapter four. He talks about how the church ought to be structured. In chapter number five, he talked about how marriages ought to be structured. And, And there's other things along the way. Well, today, he really meddles and gets into our business and is very practical. And there's some real applicable things here. Really, no matter what, what age or stage you're at, I want you to lean into this because maybe God's helping you get the information so that you can minister to somebody else. Ephesians chapter number six, here we go, verses number one through four. Children, obey your parents. And all the parents said, I knew I'd get an amen out of you one way or another. And all the kids said, oh, me. Well, here's what's safe. Most of them are back there. They're not going to hear this today, all right? Last week was a little tough, husbands and wives in the same room. This week we separated them. They can't attack you, all right, everybody? And so uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then this next word, some of us struggle with the word, honor your father and mother, which is first which is the first commandment with a promise. Now, those of us that grew up with June and Ward Cleaver as parents, honoring them, man, that's great. You love that. Yes, yeah. But those that grew up with Ozzy Osbourne as a father might have a struggle with this. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And, um, and so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Verse number four now, fathers, Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up. This is a command, fathers. Bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, I'm going to break these verses into three different parts, but uh, I want to talk to children obeying your parents. I want to talk about honoring, and then I want to talk just in the conclusion to fathers particularly, but again to mothers and fathers or to parents particularly, and this is where Paul just gets very applicable. So after reading this verse, you, 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 might, you might think this is, where, this is where you might expect us to start uh, arming parents with ways that kids ought to obey. How many of you parents would love a good convicting message like that? to the kids, right? Of course you would. But I kind of 
I want to take a different approach, and part of it is I know that there's not a lot of youth or teenagers in the room. There could be some teenagers, but the littler kids are away. Uh, but this is one of those messages that I not only preach to those that are in the room and those that are watching online, but I want to preach it to our library because I want it forever to be a resource that you can have or go to in the different ages and stages of your life. All right, everybody? And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to address the youth that are in the room. Now, notice in this first service, there's not a whole lot of youth in the room. Why? Because they're still sleeping, everybody, all right? They're still at home, but I'm still going to address the youth that are in the room or watching later. And, and, and I'm going to give you parents and grandparents an opportunity to agree with me on these points. Okay, I'm, I'm working you, all right? Uh, and these first couple things is very interesting to me because it says obey and honor. How many know those are two words that don't really fit in our culture today? How many know what I'm talking about? Honor. I wonder why God asked us to honor our parents. And maybe God told us to obey and honor them because God knew that they would be wrong from time to time. Not a single parent amen on that one, right? Did you see that? So, so here's what I want to do. And some of the kids are afraid because you're sitting by your parents. I get it. I get it. So I want to give some, I want to give the youth for just a moment in the first little third of this message, I want to I talk to the youth that are listening. And I want to give you some survival skills. Teenagers, I want to help you understand how in the world you will survive these parents of yours. All right, everyone? And um, so I want to give give you some, just some real practical things to consider. Now, remember, everybody, I'm talking to teenagers for just a minute, all right? And then tune back in in a minute. Um, and some of you that are older and already have raised teenagers, come on and just, just agree a little bit with a brother, would you, all right? Here's some things I want you to consider today. Teenagers, youth that are in the room, I want you to consider these things when it comes to obeying your parents. Number one, I want you to realize that they used to be cool, The key word here is used to be, all right? Some of them are still trying. Some of them gave up a long time ago. How many know what I'm saying, right? But they used to be cool. And matter of fact, it's hard for you teenagers to believe this, but that parent of yours, even that grandparent of yours, used to act just like you. Your dad saw your mom walking through the hallways of high school and drooled all over himself. Ah, Yeah, and you're like, oh, that's gross, Ken. I know it's gross, but if he hadn't have done that, you wouldn't be here. Right? And so they used to be just like you. They used all the same excuses. They were late for curfew, believe it or not. Come on, parents, I see you're shriveling down in your seats. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They would hang out in the hallways, and, and, and in your parents' days, we didn't have, like, Facebook thumbs up if we liked somebody. We actually had to use words. Guys used words like, ugh, right? And, and we, in my days, we had this grading system, and I know it's degrading, but it was our grading system, and, like, we graded one another with animals. Did anybody else do this? You're afraid to admit, Huh? Yeah, oh, Kimber, all right, and, uh, <laughs> whoo, there's a fox, yeah, 
And, and then somewhere in my high school years, it changed from animals to numbers. Did anybody else experience this? Ooh, there's a fine nine. Yeah. I never got that. I always got like, eh, he's a one maybe, you know, <laughs> those kind of things. But nowadays it's just a thumbs up. But here's what I want you to understand. When I say they used to be cool, I know you're sitting there going, yeah, but what happened? I'm going to tell you what happened. When you were born, when you were born, two of them went into the hospital together, and your mother, from inside of her body, delivered you simultaneously, supernaturally. When you came out from the inside of her, all the coolness drained out of your mom and dad at the same time. Come on now. <laughs> Yeah, and you want to know why this happened? Come on, parents, I need a little love. Because this crazy thing called responsibility set in. It freaked me out. Did any other dads get freaked out or moms? Uh, they handed me this little alien with a cone head that looked like a California raisin. And they sent us home like they weren't coming. There was no book. There was no manual. They wobbled all over the place. I was scared out of my mind. And the last thing on my mind was to try to be cool and revelant and anything else. Can I get an amen from the parents there, right? Now, here's what adds to the problem. It's not just that responsibility set in. It's that you're here today. You're 11 years old. You're 12 years old. You're 13 years old. And your parents have lost their mind. And they realize they still got years to go. And their brains are fried. Give them a break. Can I get an amen from mom and dad, right? And this is why they do and say crazy things. Come on, adults, how many of your parents, they said crazy things to you? And then you swore you would never say them? And you found yourself saying them? You found yourself pointing at a kid going, what am I doing? I said I would never do this. I was 11 years old. I went down the road and I bought a $5 lawnmower because I was going to go around and start mowing yards in the neighborhood. I was entrepreneurial. I was going to start a little business. I drugged that old lawnmower home. My mom looked at it and said, what are you doing with that piece of junk? I said, Mom, I'm going to mow yards. I'm going to make my own money. And she said, you've never even used a lawnmower. I said, I know, but it, I, I'll be fine. And she said, you cut your legs off with that lawnmower. Don't come running to me. <laughs> How many of you can relate to those sayings? How many of you have accidentally, of course, said one of those things? Put a coat, put a coat on, you're making me cold. Have you ever wanted to just go get the coat and hand it to your mother, right? In my home, it was always like this. Do you think I'm stupid? How many know that's a question you should never answer? <laughs> huh? It's like, well, you're not exactly Aristotle, Mom, you know. <laughs> Or I have this one sometimes. It was like, don't you talk back to me, boy. Okay. Do you hear me when I'm talking to you? Yes. Don't you talk back to me. Okay. You know, I wasn't sure what to do. See, your parents have literally lost their minds. Their brains are fried because it's hard to raise you. And I think personally it gets harder every day. 
And, and, and one day they have to stand before God and give an account of how they raised you. That's a lot of pressure. So give them a break. And that's a good place for parents to say, yeah, amen, please help us, Jesus, right? Number two, here's another thing I want you to consider, is they really love you. I know that you think your mom and dad go to bed at night and lay awake at night, unfold blueprints on how they can mastermind and destroy your life. I know that's what you think they're doing in there. I know that you think they are looking for ways to destroy your life. And, and I know there's an argument that says, well, not all parents love their teenagers. I understand, but I can tell you this, yours do because they're listening to this message. Yours do because they brought you to church today. Yours do because they're sitting there laughing at themselves. Yours do because they're trying to do better and they know that where they're at is not where they have to stay. Yours do because you don't know what past they're trying to overcome or what legacy they're trying to overcome or what genealogies they're trying to break or generational curses they break and they're sitting in this room trying to grow in God so they can give you a better life than they grew up in. Can I get an amen on that, everybody? They love you. They love you. Yeah, but Ken, they say no all the time. And they're so crazy, they even spell it, N-O. What part of no don't you understand? Uh, I've heard it so many times. Well, let me clue you in on something. The word no means, it means I love you. That's what it means. I know you would rather them just say, well, I love you instead of no and instead of spelling it and all the things they do. I know that. Mom, can I play in the highway? I love you. Uh, wouldn't that be better? No means I love you. No means I want you to stay close to me. No means my brain is fried and I have this crazy responsibility and I'm trying to keep you close to me. Can I go spend the night? Can I go spend the night with somebody you've never met? No. Can I go to this concert with Fred? No. You see, they love you so much that they fed you and they're still feeding you. And they taught you how to walk. And when you didn't get it the first time, they didn't trade you in. They didn't call the warranty number. Hey, this one's, uh, this one's got an issue. Can we send it back? No, they kept working with you through your failures. And when they taught you to say words and you did say mama, say mama, poo-poo. No, they didn't send you back when you didn't do it right. Kind of sounds like God, doesn't it, everybody, right? And, um, and, and so I want you to know, give them the benefit of the doubt that they really do love you. Number three, the third thing I want you to consider is loving them back. Mm -hmm. Love them back. In, in other words, when they don't meet your expectations, love them back anyway. Come on, everybody, are you here today? Uh, um, you, you think that perhaps they're the worst parents in the world when Johnny's parents say yes and your parents say no, I want you to love them anyway. When everybody else gets to but you don't get to, I want you to honor them anyway. When you expect them to yell at your brother and not at you and to have money for everything you want and that you need and drive you everywhere anytime and help you with homework and protect 
protect you against those teachers that are only picking on you and singling you out. And when they don't, I want you to love and honor them anyway. Because in loving them, you're loving God, and in honoring them, you're honoring God. And the reason that we should love and honor them when they are wrong, okay, parents, plug your ears for a moment, is because sometimes they are. And sometimes... (laughs) That's the best amen I've gotten in three years. Hey, that, that was the most truthful amen in the house. By the way, amen means I agree with you. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, and it's true. They're going to get it wrong because none of us are perfect. And some of us have gotten addicted to what we see online and what we see on TV and thinking that there's perfect people and everything wraps up in a 30-minute show. Life doesn't happen that way. Life is messy. Come on, everybody. And it's filled with bumps and bruises, and it's filled with mistakes, and we're just trying to do the best we can with the tools that we have. And some of you have parents that didn't get any tools when they were growing up, and it's a miracle that they're even in their right mind today. So we ought to love and honor them. Give yourselves a good hand clap. Amen, everyone. And not only that, remember when they're wrong, remember this message. Their minds are fried, and it's your fault. <laughs> On September the 6th of this year, as we relaunch our youth ministry for the fall, uh, I'm going to be doing, you can save the date, we'll be talking about it more, it'll be on the ministry calendar, but on September the 6th, I'm going to come and do a parent youth night uh, for our youth and parents, and, and I think it'll be really advantageous for everyone. And, and I know that we can have fun in this kind of message, but the next part of that verse says something that troubles some. And to be honest with you, it's a verse that I wrestled with for the most of my life. You see, it's one thing to obey parents when you're living in their house. It's another thing as you grow older and try to figure out how do I honor them, especially how do I honor an abusive parent? How do I honor a bad parent? How do I honor a parent that and you fill in the blanks? And if there's anything that I can relate to, I know firsthand that wrestling. I know firsthand how the enemy will try to leverage your troubled childhood and this verse and make you feel condemned for not honoring a bad or an abusive parent. And the battle is real, and some of you understand that also well. But I want you to know this before I give you some reasons. I want you to know that according to Romans chapter number 8, verse number 28, that all things... And I mean all things can work together for good to those who are in Christ Jesus. What it means is you didn't have to have a perfect life to serve a perfect God. What it means is you didn't have to be loved perfectly to turn around and learn how to love. That what the devil meant for bad, what the devil meant to take you out, what the devil meant to destroy your life, if you will trust God with the hurt and with the abuse and with the pain and you'll place it in the hands of God, God will turn that around and make you better than you ever imagined you could be. Come on, somebody, right? 
the Lord will use everything. And I know they're horrible acts. And there's stories from my life I could never even share from this platform. But I know this, that I, I trust that part of the reason that I'm standing here is because of God's grace and what the enemy's seen ahead. And I think the enemy attacks those the worst that he knows God's going to bring the highest. Come on. But God is still able if you'll turn it around and give it to him. And say, Ken, how do I honor them? Let me just give you some things from my life that over years of wrestling with this, because I've been serving God my whole life, but I haven't always had good parents or adult figures in my life. And so I wrestled, and the enemy used this verse to condemn me for so long. And so here's some things that I came up with in my life. I hope they'll help you. Number one, how do I honor an abusive parent? Number one is you forgive them. I know it's easier to preach than it is to do. And let me just remind you, forgiveness might not be a one-time act. Forgiveness might have to happen every Thanksgiving because they invite you over. Forgiveness might have to happen often, but we have to forgive them. A willingness to forgive. Watch this. A willingness to forgive. Sometimes forgiveness is a battle. Sometimes you have to forgive more than once. Sometimes you think you've forgiven and the same old memories and the same old hurt, come on, it comes back up. And that's when you have to consciously decide, God's bigger than my hurt, I choose to forgive again. Now, I have a whole series of messages on being offended and forgiveness if you want to listen to online, because forgiveness does not automatically mean they get the keys to the car again. Mm -hmm. But a willingness to forgive, it honors both God and it honors the parent. Number two, the second thing we ought to do is we ought to pray for them. And I know it's hard to pray for them, but I want you to consider, first of all, when you're praying for them, I want you to let go of the expectations that your parent will ever be the parent that you wanted them to be you got to be willing to give that up. And I know it's not fair. And I know it's not right. And I know that every Mother's Day and every Father's Day and every special day, but you got to get rid of the expectation of all the things you wish they would have been and could have been and should have been and how unfair it is for you and take all of that want in your life and twer turn it toward a God who loves you and adores you and he will be those things for you. Come on. Some of the people that have had the worst childhoods are some of the people I know that have the strongest relationship with God because they have to trust in a heavenly father because they could never trust in an earthly father. Mm, you got to let go. And you got to pray for them. And, and first prayer might be, Lord, help me to pray for them because <laughs> I don't feel like praying for them. Because some of us just want revenge on them and bad for them, but pray for them. Number three, the third thing to honor a hurtful parent is consider the positive that they taught you. Somewhere in there, there's something that you can take away. Somewhere in it. And, and I know there's some arguing with me right now in your mind, and I don't understand all the situations, and if it's that bad, then maybe you can at least say, well, at least I know how not to do it. Mm -hmm. At least I know what I'm not going to do. Hello, anybody? 
Yeah, uh, uh, um, uh, you got to take something in there. One of the things I can say about my mother is my mother taught me a work ethic. My mom was working. She was 16 when I was born, working. And I mean, I watched her work. I watched her push. I watched her strive. I literally watched her putting quarters from her tips in a mayonnaise jar so we could pay the rent. My mom never gave up, just kept on pushing. And if there's anything I can take from my mom, it's that tenacity to say never give up. There's always a tomorrow. I'm going to keep on going. There's always one more round. I'm just trying to survive today. Here's what I'm trying to say. Find the good thing. Find the one thing. Find something. It might not be the prettiest thing. It might not be the the nicest thing. But find the one thing you can take away from that and thank God that you were able to get that. It might just be your determination. It might be your fight. It might be, you might need to leverage your hurt. You might need to leverage your abuse. You might need to leverage those things, but consider those and express gratitude for those. Number four, the fourth thing you can, how you can honor is refrain from verbally destroying them. It's hard. It's hard because when everybody's talking about how great their family was, you want to you just puke out all the bitterness and all the hurt. But if you forgive them way back in the beginning, there's less bitterness and hurt to have to puke out. If you continually talk to God about them, you won't feel the need to verbally assault them with others because you've already got it out of your system. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It would be real easy for me from time to time to get up on this platform or any other platform God has given me. And, and I don't mean physical platform, but the platform of life. And begin to talk about how terrible situations were in my life. But that doesn't honor them. In fact, if you've noticed my messages, most of them are not filled with a whole lot of stories about my mom and dad. They're not filled with a lot of stories of adult figures in my life as I was a child. Why? Because I heard a long time ago, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say nothing at all. And one thing we can do is stop verbally attacking them when they're present or when they're not present. Because just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean you have to say a certain way. Come on now. Now, hold on. Let me time out right there. That doesn't mean you don't have one somebody that you can confide in. Hello? Yeah, you you want me to go back to the fun part of the message, right? Let, Let me do one more. One more way that you can honor a tough parent or an abusive parent is establish um, uh, establish, uh, strong and appropriate boundaries in your life. I'm talking to now those of you that have grown up. You're adults. You're, you're out. You're doing your own life. And, and you have to establish and, and, uh, strong and appropriate boundaries in your life. And here's one thing I will promise you. The devil will always try to leverage your Christianity and your Christian beliefs uh, on how bad you're doing in this area. Well, you ought to just forgive them, and you ought to just love them, and you ought to be gracious. And all of those things are true. The devil knows part of the Bible. Come on. But what he wants to do is reopen the wounds in your life that you have spent a lifetime healing in your life. 
Mm -hmm. Come on. When Jonah got on the boat, he brought a storm with him. And the sailors wised up and said, it's time for you to get off my boat. In other words, they drew some boundaries. And the moment that they did, the storm seized in life. Some of you are going through storms because you insist on the fact to keep on doing life with the very folks that are bringing the storms into your life. There is no shame and there is no condemnation to protecting your heart, Proverbs 4. 23, above all else, and drawing some boundaries in your life. Come on, everybody. Now, let me say some hard things. I should have put these on the screen, but let me say a couple other hard things about this. Forgiveness and honor are not, what forgiveness and honor are, they're not permanent submission to parental authority. It doesn't mean that you continue to submit to authority that you have outgrown. You have outgrown it physically, you have outgrown it spiritually, you've outgrown it emotionally. They're still stuck, but you have worked and you've grown, and you don't have to still submit to that just because you forgive that. Come on now. Does that make sense? The Bible commands honor, but it doesn't command remaining a prisoner of dysfunction. Come on. In cases, let me, let me go a little deeper on this, all right? In the cases where grandchildren are, are part of the equation, don't you dare submit those grandchildren to the same situation that you were submitted to. Come on. It might feel warm and fuzzy, but you're responsible now for those grandchildren, everybody. And don't you dare put them right back in the environment that caused the hurts and the scars in your life. I know it's hard. I know it's not fair. I get it. I really do. But it's now your responsibility to protect those children. And we're going to see that in just a moment. And there is no guilt. There is no guilt in keeping one's distance from an abusive parent. Whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, there, there is no guilt in that. But make sure that the separation is not motivated by vengeance. I'm going to keep my kids away from them just to pay them back. No, it can't be out of vengeance. It has to be out of protecting your heart. Because above all else, you've got to protect your home that God has now put you in charge of. Come on, dads, are you hearing me? Yeah, yeah. And you can, you can still honor your parents. You can do these things. And you can still honor them, and you can, you can honor them from afar. And then the void, you say, Ken, what about the void of not having that and not getting that in life? And, and I have a brokenness, and, 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 and I don't have any warm, fond memories of mom and dad. And, and I wished I could get them now. But if you'll give up those expectations that your relationship with God will fill those voids that were left because of brokenness. And one of the things that's important to remember is just maybe, maybe not, but just, just consider they did the best they knew how to do with the tools that they had. And you want them to love you a certain way, but all they have in, in, in the resource center is a hammer. <laughs> and they're doing the best they can with what they got. Come on, everybody. I know it's not fair, but remember this. God loves us, and Jesus gave us grace while we were still sinners. Amen, everyone? Mm -hmm. Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 4 moves on, and then it says something that's pretty serious. 
now he addresses us very specific, and, and I want everyone to interpret this as parents, but dads in the room, come on, there's some really strong instruction right here. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Don't make them want to give up. Don't make them just want to throw in the towel. Don't make them feel like I can never please you. I can never do enough. I can never put a smile on your face. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. There is a serious responsibilities on dads in the room. And if you're a single mom in the room, God can anoint you to do both roles. I know he can. Hello? Would you? Come on now. You acted like God's not able to do that. He's able to do that. Uh, I, I personally don't know if there has ever been a time, I'm sure there has, but I can't think of a time that we need in our culture, that we need more non-passive, God-loving, non-exasperating fathers than we need right now in America. Can I get an amen on that? Would you agree with that? I don't know. I don't know. I just think that. Um, in a hundred countries surveyed, America has the highest percentage of fatherless homes. America does. And I know that seems foreign to us because we're in church and some of us are protected against that. Not all of us. But, but Patty and I, were, were, we were having dinner with some friends of ours this week. And, and this friend of ours, the dad, the, the husband, uh, he's raising some teenagers right now, him and his wife. And, and, and his story is a lot like mine. And whenever we get together, I let him share part of his story. And we were sitting there having dinner. And I sat down my fork and I looked at him and I said, I want you to know something. Maybe nobody's ever told you this, but you are a miracle of God because you're breaking a generational curse. You have every reason to go down the same cow path that you were led down, but you are learning and you are growing and it's hard and you're fighting daddy's demons and you're fighting a legacy that's been left behind, but you've got some kids. They are serving God. They're in church. You're married and you love your wife and you are fighting those things. You're fighting those examples and you are a miracle. And today I want to say, if you're a father here today, and you're in church, and you're active in your kids' lives, uh, and you're providing for them, you also are a miracle according to the world's standards. Come on now. 85% of teenagers with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. Over 90% of those that are incarcerated come from fatherless homes. Yeah. Young, uh, I'll tell you this. I, I was thinking about this the other day, and, and I was thinking, like, for the young single guys that are in the room, I know it'd be easy for you to tune me out right now, but I think you ought to practice on being a dad. In other words, I think you ought to sign up to be in children's ministry. Yeah, come on, Kimber, help me out now, right? Uh, I mean, think of the benefits. You can go practice and mess up somebody else's kid, get all the bugs worked out in the name of ministry. Oh, sorry, Rochelle, I didn't see you in here. Uh. And, and here's an extra advantage. Hey, single guys, you go back there and work in children's ministry. You can practice on other people's kids. And here's an extra benefit. You might can meet some single girls. 
Oh, all right. Yeah. Somebody's for it. All right. Let me wrap this up with a couple of thoughts. I want to talk to the men or parents, but particularly the men in the room. Give me a little grace on this because I think according to God's word without going all over the scripture and teaching all these, let me give you some, just some real practicals. Here's what I think a good father does. Number one, Say, Ken, you tell us to be good, but what does that mean? Because some of us don't have a model. Number one, a good father protects. Come on. First Peter chapter number three, it says this. Verse number seven. Husbands, love your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. By the way, it doesn't say lesser vessel. Okay, it just says weaker. Since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. They're not less, they're weaker. And yes, it's true that men are stronger in general. In other words, I'm really glad my wife's not stronger than me because I wouldn't be alive anymore, all right? <laughs> but, but men, protect your... When there's a noise in the night, don't kick her out of bed. Get up and go check it out. Come on now. Do background checks on the boy your daughter is dating. Yeah, exactly. Children, listen, I'm having a little fun, but children who grew up without a father, watch this, are 200% more likely to be neglected and to be abused because they're not used to being protected. And a father will protect. A father will not only protect from predators, a father will protect from life, but a father also knows how to protect you from yourself. To this day, some of the issues that I'm still working through are because nobody protected me as a kid. And it created wounds that have taken a lifetime to heal. And so I've leveraged what the enemy meant for bad, and I've worked really hard, and I've always wanted my kids to know that home was the safest place. Amen, everyone? I was sleeping one night in the middle of the night. Have you ever had your kids wake you up in the middle of the night? I mean, you're not a parent if that's never happened, right? <laughs> And I'm sleeping, and I'm sound asleep, and I felt this presence beside my bed. And I opened my eye, and there was little eight-year-old Janessa staring me down. <laughs> That's creepy in the middle of the night. She might as well have been a devil woman, you know? I mean, it was like, what are you doing, you know? And, and she, Dad, Dad, I had a bad dream. And I'm like, oh, sweetie, what was the dream? She said, I, I dreamed that there was a donkey biting my stomach. And in my mind, I'm like, well, that's not really that scary. I mean, what? A donkey? Did you watch Shrek last night? Or like, what? Yeah, I, I dreamed a donkey. And, and I was in the process saying, oh, there's no donkeys. It was just a bad dream. Now scoot on off to bed. But, but what about the donkeys? And right then, Patty sat up in bed and said, oh, I have something for that. And I'm looking at her, you have something for donkey bites in the middle of the night? Patty jumped out of bed, grabbed Janessa by the hand, and said, as they're leaving the bedroom, she said, oh, yeah, I have a bottle of anti-donkey spray in the closet. And I'm thinking, we have this stuff? I, like, I, I didn't know. Uh, back then, we had these Avon products, and it was skin so soft. Anybody remember this? 
Yeah, and she laid Janessa down, prayed with her, got the bottle of donkey spray, sprayed it on her stomach, rubbed it in, and said, now no donkeys will bother you. And for the next six months, every night before bed, we said our prayers, we read our Bible story, and we sprayed on donkey spray. Huh? <laughs> because parents figure out how to protect from whatever the enemy, whatever the bully is. Come on now. Number two, a good father provides. Oh, I'm going to try not to get too political on this one. That's kind of our rule around here. Genesis chapter number two, verse number 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work. There are some of us under the crazy misunderstanding that work only happened after sin happened. No. Work is a privilege. God gave us talents so that we could work. The devil has twisted it, but the Lord put the man in the garden to work the garden. Work is not a result of sin, so maybe we ought to quit treating it like it's bad. Okay, 2 Thessalonians says it this way. We give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. There's a verse I wish the government would grab a hold of. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Hey, you can spot a busy body a mile away. You need to get a life. When you got time to talk about everybody else, it means you don't have a life yourself. Right Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. One just real quick political thing. Quit waiting on politicians to tax those that work to give to those that don't. We need to do that. It's killing America. Nobody else should pay for you to spend their money. Can I get an amen on that at least? Now, at the same time, the church ought to be generous, and we ought to help those that are down and out. 1 Timothy chapter number 5, verse number 8 says this, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's Bible, guys. I mean, you can, you can take my little side comments out of there, but the Bible is still the Bible. In other words, we ought to work. Dads, we ought to provide. And, and that doesn't mean you have to be the number one breadwinner. It doesn't mean you have to make the most. It doesn't mean your wife can't make more. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, stay at home and take care because there's more to provide than just money. How many know what I'm talking about, right? You can help provide identity for your kids. You can help provide counsel for your kids. You can help provide emotional stability for your kids. You can provide a safe home for your kids. You can provide love for their mom that gives them stability. Come on, everybody, right? I got to close, so let me do number three. Number three is that a good father, he pastors. You say, oh, man, I'm not a pastor. You're the pastor. No, you're the pastor of your home. I'm the pastor of this house, but you're the pastor of your house. I'm, I'm not there. I'm not there saying prayers. You're the pastor. You're the priest is the technical term. And, and, and I like to say it this way, dads, here's a good motto, remember, to, and, and it, it's this, connect before you correct. See, it's a whole lot easier to correct them if you're connected with them and they believe you're on their side and you're for them. 
And that happens through relationship. Come on, connect before you correct. Um, but do both. Don't do one, do both of them. Um, and, and I would just end this with saying just some real simple, practical things is pray with your kids. It's okay. I don't know how to do that. You, you see it here all the time. Lord, help Junior. Amen. I mean, that, that's a good start. Just, just talk, right, and, and pray with them. Read the Bible to them. Teach them how to connect with God. Set boundaries in their life. Set, help them set goals in their life. Help them set guidelines. Help them set goals in every area of their life. Ask them what they're looking for when they start dating. Ask them how much money they'd like to have and, and how they would like to save. Uh, give them identity. Tell them what they're good at. I was watching you and I noticed you're good at. Show them how to manage money. Help them to understand how to make God first in their money. Make Sundays God's day. Help them know how to make God a priority in life. Come on, everybody. Here's why. Here's the question I would close with. Do do you want your sons to be like you, or do you want your sons to surpass you? Uh, Sons and daughters, I mean. Or would you want your son, or would you want your daughter to marry someone like you? One of the biggest changes I started making in my life is when our little girl was born, and I realized, man, I'm not 100% sure if everything about me is something I'd like her to have, and I needed to make some changes. Here's the reality of the importance of this message, and I'll close with this. Do you know that in America's culture, the church is the only pro-family place that's left? It's the only place where you're going to hear dads protect, dads provide, dads pastor, children obey your parents, children honor your parents. Last week, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's the only place left in our culture where you're going to hear messages like you've heard the last two weeks. The church, we have got to do it God's way. We're the last beacon of hope in our culture today. Amen, everybody. Amen. Would you stand with me all over this place, and we'll wrap up today.